Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. It's that time again. Time for another episode of the Triple Threat Theater Podcast. This is episode number nine, and my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. And Dax, uh, we have a couple of firsts this episode. We do. Mm-hmm. First Tell off, the people. First off, this is the first episode we've ever done where we talk about three movies all by the same director. Check. Never done that before. Nope. And then also it's the first time we're having a guest on the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that too. Uh, if you listen to the Sidetrack podcast at all, or if you remember Digital Dog Soup, which existed for two years, about four years ago, uh, then you already know our guest, Tony Sedani. Hello, everyone. Hi, Tony. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thanks for Thank joining you. us. It's a nice studio you get here. <laughs> Milzy, I'm glad you're the dog soup historian, because we're certainly not. <laughs> I wouldn't have said whenever that was on the air. Those but... years and all of that information may be completely inaccurate, but... <clears throat> oh, okay. Um, Pulling back the curtain. <laughs> How long does Digital Dog Soup, the podcast, has have to be defunct before we just start referring to you as a Triple Threat Theater host and Tony as a guest host of Sidetracked? Today. <laughs> Today's the day? <laughs> yes. All right. Well, works for me. The glory days. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned, uh, for the first time ever, there's a, a lot of different kinds of themes uh, for episodes and trios of movies, as uh, you've probably realized if you've been listening to the show for the last couple of months. And so as I mentioned, this is the first time we're doing three movies by the same director. I don't think it was too hard to figure out who the director would be based on the title that we revealed last episode. Pull your socks up, Dax, lay it on them, what we're doing and who we're talking about. Well, Milsey, well, Tony, this week it is films of illustrious director Guy Ritchie. Yes. So we've got Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, and Rock and Rolla. Yes. Uh, not a Sherlock Holmes or a uh, Man from Uncle to be seen. Correct. <laughs> just some good old fashioned British capers. It's just the way yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, um, I was the one who pitched this trio, although I'm sure given enough time, you probably would have pitched it to me as well. 100%. Um, If I'm not mistaken, we are all three big fans of at least some of the movies we're going to be talking about today. For sure. Absolutely. I know that when I was in high school, which would have been right around uh, the year 2000, 99 to 2003 time period, um, Lockstock had been out for a little while. Snatch came out during that time period. And when I discovered them, you know, I was already, as is well documented on Sidetracked, like a huge uh, Kevin Smith nut and uh, loved like horror movies and things. And then somehow the British crime, dramedy, comedy, thriller movies just like crept right in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I definitely used to quote 
Snatch and Lockstock just as much oh, as boy. like Evil Dead back in the day. I'd have to agree. A snatch more more so. There's just so much like stuff from there that's in like my personal lexicon, <laughs> even to this day. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh... I, I want to say I saw Snatch first. I can't really be sure. Yeah. But I'll I'll say Snatch first, and then I loved it so much that I just bought Lockstock mm. without seeing it. Like just that was enough, and then fell in love with both. Yeah, I remember the the buzz around these movies, like uh, Guy Ritchie movies, kind of like it was the evolution of coming from like Quentin Tarantino and like you, Millsy said, Kevin Smith, like all these like non mainstream type of things, mm-hmm. and then it's just like you eventually just you know come across Guy Ritchie stuff, and it just felt so fresh at the time. Yeah, I have to imagine I saw Snatch first as well. And then went back to Lockstock, and um, I mean, I know that Snatch is like the more popular, the more well known. For me, I, like I watched these movies over and over and over and over again for like a good decade. There, um, I feel like I watched them so much and became so familiar with them that I just like didn't need to watch them for a long time. So it's actually been quite a while since I've seen any of the three movies we're going to be talking about um, the last time, but. Um, I I always personally felt like I couldn't decide which I liked more, uh, Snatch or Lockstock. Snatch is definitely the more refined film. It looks a little nicer, you know, had the bigger budget and some bigger names and whatnot. Right. But uh, yeah, I always loved both of them pretty much equally. Um, yeah, going into this, I already kind of in my head thought I knew what my decisions were going to be. And I don't think they remained that way. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Hmm, for the buy, borrow, burn, you mean? Right, correct. Nice. Yeah, a lot of times I won't really think about it. Like, I'll just wait until we do that segment on the show and then kind of decide on the spot. But with this one, I actually put a little thought into it and uh, because I knew that it was going to be tough because I was always able to say I like Lock, Stock, and Snatch the same. But yeah. today I'm going to have to <laughs> pick a side. So <laughs> Got to choose, baby. Yeah, I've chosen and I'm ready to say it in about an hour and a half when we end the show. Very good. But, uh, yeah, then there's Rock and Rolla, which, you know, so after the uh, the first two, Snatch and Lockstock, Guy Ritchie did Swept Away with Madonna. Uh, that panned. And then he did Revolver, which I don't remember really getting any kind of release. Like, I was waiting and waiting for that movie to come out at the time in, like, 2005. Mm-hmm. And then, finally, I, like, got it on DVD from Blockbuster, and the reason I picked Rock and Rolla over Revolver, even though they're both kind of British crime films, is because... Have you guys seen Revolver? I have not. I have. It 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 feels like a different genre from whatever the Guy Ritchie, like, British crime film genre is, or what you would call mm-hmm. it. It's, like, more dark and more serious, and there's, like, weird, pretentious-feeling animated segments in it. And mm. I just feel like... Rock and Rolla is a better pairing with the uh, the two other movies we're going to be talking about. It's a about. return to the norm for him. Yeah. I, At least going an attempt into this, to return to the norm. Uh, going into this, I thought I have had seen Rock and Rolla, which wasn't the case. Oh, this was a first time have, watch? It was. I might have been thinking that I was getting Revolver and Rock and Rolla confused, maybe? Mm-hmm. Because it was even like once I rented it and I was like, wait, I was like, um, 
Gerard Butler is in this? <laughs> I was like, wait. And then I was like, no guy. And I was like, oh, Statham with the long hair. That was Revolver. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. I don't think I've seen this. I knew the like the catchphrase, the whole like I'm a real rock and roller. Like I knew that, but maybe I just knew it the pop culture part of it or something. I don't know, mm. but certainly watching the movie, it was all new to me. Well, I, I remember rock and roller came out around my birthday, I think. And since I was such a huge fan of Snatch and Lockstock, me and some friends went to see it. And I was mm-hmm. like so excited because the trailers made it look like this is Guy Ritchie doing Guy Ritchie again. And mm-hmm. I only until now only saw the movie that one time in the theater, which will probably tell you what I thought of it. Like, I don't remember hating it, but I definitely remember walking out of the theater and being like, that wasn't another Snatcher Lockstock. No. I was in the same boat completely. Like, so in love with the first two movies that, like, I didn't even go near Swept Away, but once Revolver was coming, I was like, yes, please, more Jason Statham. <laughs> like, yes, so ready. I don't remember a thing about it besides he had the long hair. <laughs> I was. Yeah. I just remember I not was really, liking it. I'm um, hyped know? up for that movie, and then I remember hearing. I mean, it might even been you, Dex. Did you see it in the theater? I couldn't even tell you, man. I don't remember. I at can't all. remember. I remember people <laughs> telling me that it wasn't good, and then I just never saw it. I probably did. As a big of a fan of the first two as I am, still, I probably saw that. In the I theater can't remember if just... I saw Snatch in the theater because I remember buying Snatch on DVD the day it came out because I was waiting for it, mm-hmm. but I don't remember if I saw it beforehand or. Or not, or if I got it just based off of liking Lockstock, I, I just don't remember. But mm. I just remember being a big fan of those two, and that's when DVD really started like catching on, and um, you know you were building up your collection just because like they were cheap and easy to get, you know, as opposed to yeah. like VHS days, and um, just getting stuff like that, you know, stuff you never really heard about and stuff it was just so exciting. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, it was definitely away. that DVD time period because I remember. The year 2000, when Snatch came out, is the year that I got my first DVD player, which was my PlayStation 2. Um, And I don't remember the circumstances under which I first saw it, but I feel like it was probably something like Fight Club, where Mm -hmm. I didn't see it in the theater, didn't know what it was, but then it comes out and everybody's talking about it, so then like on DVD, I must have checked it out or something. But Oh, like, Snatch coming out in 2000 is like peak, like movie buying for me. (laughs) I was buying everything I liked. Uh, movies that looked good. I was just blind buying DVDs for twenty dollars, like a maniac. <laughs> yeah. it was all over the place. Funny. Well, I was gonna say I still have both my DVDs of Lockstock and Snatch. I watched them both for this episode. I actually <laughs> nice. went to go watch my Snatch for this episode, and the disc. I don't even think I've ever watched it, and I opened it up, and the disc was like cracked on from the inside. Oh. And I'm like, okay, Sucks. so it didn't work. So I ended up iTunes had it on sale for like five bucks, so it was easily. Oh, easily got perfect. it. <laughs> One of those kids got a hold of it. Might have been for moving, but I don't know. Weird. <laughs> Never oh. seen that before. Yeah, I, I rewatched my original old Lockstock DVD. Uh, I have rebought Snatch on Blu-ray, and I do own Rock and Roll, even though I've only ever seen it the once in the theater. I think I probably got it when like Blockbuster Video was going out of business and they were selling off all their used DVDs or something. Mm-hmm. But uh. Yeah. Uh, anything else to say generally about uh, the? Fr- it's not really a franchise. Plus, we don't do franchises on this show. Uh, yeah. About the films, or shall we just dive right into Lockstock? Let's dive right in. I'm excited. All right. Uh, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels released in 1998. Your stupidity might be your one saving grace. Huh? Don't err me, Greek boy. 
How is it your fucking stupid, soon-to-be-dead friends thought that they might be able to steal my cannabis and then sell it back to me? Is this a declaration of war? Is this some white cunts joke that black cunts don't get? Because I'm not fucking laughing, Nicholas. I know you couldn't have known my position, because you're not that stupid that if you did, you wouldn't have turned up here scratching your ass with that what's going on here look slapped all over your Chevy Chase. But what you do know is where these people live. If you hold back anything, I'll kill you. If you bend the truth, or I think you're bending the truth, I'll kill you. If you forget anything, I'll kill you. In fact, you're going to have to work very hard to stay alive, Nick. Now, do you understand everything I've said? Because if you don't, I'll kill you. Uh, directed by Guy Ritchie and produced by Matthew Vaughn. I was I didn't know mm-hmm. that, that he was produced by Matthew Vaughn until I just watched it. I never knew that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where he got his start. I think I read that Lockstock was the second movie he ever produced. Correct. And um, he also produced Snatch, and then like he kind of went and did the directing thing himself with Layer Cake, and then kind of went on to have his own directing career, but started mm-hmm. out as a producer. Mm-hmm. And Sting, Sting was married to a woman who was one of the producers, I think, or she read the script, really? and yeah, and then I think she was involved with getting Michael uh, Matthew Vaughn mm. on the picture as well. Yeah, I guess um, I guess uh, Guy Ritchie had done a short film that was kind of in line with the kind of stuff he started doing early in his career, um, and Sting had seen that, and that is what made him like willing to be in Lockstock, from what I mm-hmm. read. Uh, I would love to see this short film, actually, though, now knowing that it exists. Same here. Uh, quickly, I got to make up, bring up one point. Uh, a great piece of film by. Guy Ritchie is. Have you ever seen his BMW short film? Yeah, yeah the yeah. ride. Oh man, so good mm-hmm. with Madonna. Yeah, a lot of those are good. I actually have those oh, yeah. on a burned DVD mm-hmm. that someone made yeah. me back in the day. But man, there's like some car chase shots from that that are so. Are good. Those are the same mm-hmm. ones that had uh, what's his name in them. Clive Owen. Yeah. 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 Yep. So regardless, yeah, that's where it started. He had the the one short film and then a script for Lockstock and. It was hot, and someone paid him to make it. Yeah, I don't know where he got the budget for it, but a budget of the equivalent of uh, one million, uh, like one point three five million dollars or something like that U.S. It was like eight hundred thousand pounds or something, mm-hmm. uh, and total worldwide box office went on to make uh, twenty eight million. Wow. Not too shabby. No, that'll work. Um, I think I read that he and Matthew Vaughn each made like nine million pounds off of that movie because of the deals they made or something. Oh wow, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, good for him. They they uh, definitely were able to get away with that budget though. With the um, it was like said more than like half the cast was weren't even actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty yeah. funny. Uh, not a whole lot of locations and stuff either. Yep. Um, I mean, I. It seems like the majority of it is locations. I don't think it was a. It was much in the way of sets, but not a whole lot of wide open spaces. Like it kind of feels weird at the very, very end of the movie when uh, Jason Fleming goes to dump the guns off the bridge, mm-hmm. and you get like the wide shots of the bridge, which is like a real location. 
And it almost gave me this weird feeling of like, geez, this is the first like big, wide open yeah. outdoor shot we've seen because everything else is on like small, like London streets, like back mm-hmm. roads with cobblestone and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it has that like low budget feel. Um, just the the way that the movie looks. Like, if I were to knock any kind of real points off of this movie for anything, it would be just the visual quality of it not even the style because a lot of the like corny early 2000s like slow-mo and hip-hop cutting and everything like Darren Aronofsky or or Edgar Wright do I I still like all that stuff and it feels grandfathered into a movie like Lockstock which I've seen so many times but just like right at the beginning uh when um uh Nick Moran as Eddie and uh, Jason Statham are running from the cops and it's like that slow-mo shot of them running down the steps and like all of the shit flying out of their briefcase or whatever. It just Mm -hmm. looks so kind of grainy and shitty. But I mean, it was an independent film. That does, I wonder even if that was like a technology thing because there's a bit of that in Snatch too with the Mm slow-mo that has that same look. I don't, I always, whenever I watched it, even this time especially, it was like, is this like a weird shutter speed kind of thing that happens or is it purposeful, you know, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, overall the, the film quality of Lockstock is nowhere near like normal Hollywood level. I would think right. at the time. Yeah. Not something I would really hold against it though. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah. it's very think... rough around the edges um, all around yeah. with quality, the acting, everything, the editing it definitely feels Feels like his Reservoir Dogs, where like Reservoir Dogs is very, you know, it's or rough around clerks, edges too. Sure. What's that? Yeah, yeah. his clerks. or his clerks, or his clerks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the next one, very polished, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say the one thing visually that doesn't necessarily bother me, but I also could do without is the whole movie has like this yellowish tone to it a lot yep. of the time. And I don't know if this is a result of uh, when did Saving Private Ryan come out? That was late nineties, right? Hmm. Might have been the same time. It was like ninety five, like, ninety six, or something. No, I feel like Saving Private Ryan and uh, The Matrix were two films that really went in and did like a lot of color correcting and like yeah. kind of changed the entire color palette of the film. And it almost maybe feels like Guy Ritchie was trying to do that just because it was like a stylistic thing at the time, like how The Matrix was all green. I would definitely think that there's something different. You know, something that changed. You know, wh- yeah. whatever it was in post or if it was something with a lens or something, but something definitely was colored. <laughs> yeah. Because it looks so different. Than just... But really, all things taken into account, the acting is what it is. That's what you get from those actors at that time period. And yeah. it just kind of goes with the feel of the film and everything. Those are really the only things that I don't care for at all about this movie. Like, you know, I still like going back to this, like I said earlier, it had been a long time since I'd seen this and I definitely forgot some of the, the details, but I had such a blast watching this movie again. hundred percent myself as well. Yeah. Same here. Um, I remember just back then thinking how awesome Jason Statham was of a character or just an actor, I should say like the types of characters mm-hmm. he played in this and snatch. Like it's so crazy to think that he goes on to just become like some generic action star. <laughs> like I don't know, he was he had so much like charisma of just like I don't know the characters he played were just so badass, but like not in a tough guy way, and it's just so interesting yeah. to see the 
evolution of his of his uh, typecasting, I guess. But um, maybe that kind of came from the transporter because he took that role. Well, that was uh, that was the start of yeah. it for the action yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. and well, that was not actually long wasn't after the start stuff, of it, right? right. Yeah, it was he actually did um, Ghosts of Mars first? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh wow! But not that that he wasn't a starring vehicle. I don't. I've seen that movie, but I don't remember how much of a. I I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to it. remember that he was in that off the top of my head. Um, I actually just saw it in the course of looking at things for the movies that came across that. Yeah, I know that. Um, like on his own time, like since his youth, he took like karate classes and martial arts and stuff mm-hmm. like that because he was just into it. In addition to being like physically well fit, because he was like a diver, he was on like the British diving right. team. Yeah. Um. And then I guess somebody realized that, or someone in Hollywood found out, and they were just like, "Hey, let's make you an action star." So, while mm-hmm. I have seen, I think the first two transporters, and wasn't a big fan of them. It is cool that, you know, he's no Jackie Chan or anything, but he did pretty much all of his own stunts and fighting in yeah. those movies. Yeah, but, cool. Kudos to him. Yeah, despite his look, because he looks like a badass with just like the shaved head and he's fit and everything. But as like Turkish and Snatch and as Bacon <laughs> in this, mm-hmm. um, doesn't play like a badass character at all. And you're you're right, Tony. That's uh, feels a little weird for him to just suddenly go from these two movies and like one or two other indie kind of things into action star which is where he's pretty much remained through the yeah. rest of his career but i remember even like, bef- was, yeah even before he like back when these were out and these were current i remember him being kind of like the the one actor that kind of popped out more than the others i should say like there was something about him <laughs> that i just thought was so cool like he was yeah. the cool he's clever um, yeah. you know his I, w- watching lockstock i mean i've seen it so many times at this point and i'm such a fan of it so I don't know if I'm too removed, but I, I nothing jumps out to me as like poor acting in Lockstock. But I don't know if that's just because I like the movie so much. Uh, but I think he's great, and I think his line delivery is good, and especially in Snatch, forget it. But <laughs> yeah, you know, Lockstock, I think he does great. I'm not surprised at all based on what he does in Lockstock that he's gotten to the point he has. I had a question. Um, do you think um, the writing of like Seinfeld helped? influence guy Ritchie in terms of like this type of this type of uh writing style of the way like things affect and all lead to like a single road at the end because <laughs> uh, i mean this is kind of like the, the the error of seinfeld so you know i don't know i never would have made that connection but maybe i mean that is a thing that like watching all the special features and stuff on all the seinfeld dvds yeah. it feels like around season three or four when they started having some episodes that like where all the different plot lines came together in the end for like a big bombastic ending, they started actively trying to do that. And you end up with a ton of Seinfeld episodes that do it. So maybe, maybe that had something to do with the, the Guy Ritchie style film. I'm not a Seinfeld guy, so I never would have gotten that, but it's fascinating to think about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, that'd Um, be kind of amazing if Guy Ritchie was like, yeah, a hundred percent accurate. Yeah, I remember in the the Seinfeld uh, special features, there, there was an episode where Elaine is dating. Um, she's dating a guy from out of town, and then she like really wants to get rid of him, but they're like late for his plane or something. And in that same episode, I think there's like a a waiter that Kramer, someone had like offended, and was like coming to Jerry's apartment to get back at them, and like those two storylines crossed paths, and the boyfriend and the waiter like got in an argument in the hallway, and. Like, that's how the whole episode ended, and that was what kind of started it off. Uh, 
And I mean, yeah, you look at all the crazy intertwining plot lines and it's completely ridiculous to think that everything could come together in like Lockstock the way that it does. But it's just so fun to watch it happen. Yeah. The whole buildup of it, and like they show back up at their apartment, and there's just dead bodies everywhere, and they're like, "What right. happened here?" <laughs> right. Well, Millsy, I mean, we're such big fans, but why don't you hit the people with a quick synopsis if you can? Uh, it's going to be stuff. tough because there's so many moving parts in these movies. But the very, very, very basic premise is that there's four best friends: Eddie, Tom, Soap, and Bacon. And uh, Eddie is—I I don't know if I'd ever heard this term before: card sharp. Is what they call him, not a card shark. I don't know I've what a card sharp is, but that is specifically what they call him in this. So Eddie is like good at playing cards, and he wants to enter this like very highfalutin card game that you need like five hundred thousand dollars to enter or five hundred thousand pounds, and he can't raise that himself. So his three buddies each put in equal portions to get him into this game, thinking, "Oh, he'll definitely win," and then you know we'll we'll make out like bandits. And uh, so he goes into the game. It's a fixed game. He loses all of his money. um, And they basically have a week to pay back the cash. And they have to find a way to get 500,000 pounds in a week. Otherwise, they are all going to have their fingers chopped off. And Eddie's father's bar is going to be taken away from him by the mob. Mm -hmm. Eddie's father being Sting from the police. Right. I did read somewhere that... They cut this part out of the movie or the script, but there was history between Hatchet Harry and Sting mm-hmm. that that went sour. That's why he he rigged the whole game because he just really wanted the bar as like mm-hmm. to win over on mm-hmm. Sting, not even just so much the money. No, do you think it? this? I know that there's a director's cut out there. Um, yeah, there is a director's cut, and from what I understand, um, it's like 17 extra minutes and it gives more backstory for the characters. So that is probably where that stuff oh, comes from. Yeah. I'd like to see that. Yeah. So would I, I actually but think it, that you get would the work. impression that, yeah. um, like immediately, uh, what's his name? Um, immediately hatchet Harry goes to like, we'll cut your fingers off and then we'll take your father's bar. <laughs> so it makes <laughs> mm-hmm. it feel like all he wanted was the bar in the first place. Right. Yeah. To even be like, who? They have they have the scene in there where he, uh, Sting is talking, saying that like you know I, he has nothing to do with me or my bar you know like I feel like anyone would say the same thing like that's my asshole kid lost his money what does my bar have to do with it yeah, well they do come to Sting and and say uh you know it's either right. your son or your bar and right. but he's clearly is kind of is trying to force him to... into giving him the bar yeah yeah. Um, yeah, just I was gonna say, let's talk about um, one of the greatest uh, debuts too, with uh, Vinnie Jones oh, as Big yeah. Chris, the man. Oh man, mm-hmm. I personally, I don't know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but like Vinnie Jones's character in this is Big Chris. I love way more than uh, what's his name, Bullet Tooth, Bullet Tony. Tony, yeah, Tony, and Snatch. I don't know about you. Yeah, guys. I like him in this too. There's just like more of a character to him. Yeah. And... I love the fact that he like runs around with his son doing all these like dastardly mm-hmm. deeds. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's like Chris, beating the shit Chris. out of people and he's yelling at yeah. little Chris for like <laughs> cursing and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that works out. That works so well. Oi, use that language again. You'll wish you hadn't. <laughs> yeah. Right. Benny John is such a natural, like I love him in both of these movies. Apparently yeah. I, I was reading some trivia and that he he when he came out to film, he he was just getting out of jail. <laughs> 
Yeah, his first yeah. day on set was uh, he had just gotten bailed out or whatever in the morning. <laughs> He's like such a likable character, though, in addition to being mm-hmm. just like a badass in the movie, though. Mm-hmm. Even right down to the fact that, you know, he doesn't have to help the guys out at the very end by giving them the uh, the antique book, but he does. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, but at the same time, keeping like the, well, whatever, the 500 grand for himself. And I love those twists and turns, even up until the very end. You think it's like a all all is right, happy ending, and it still doesn't end. Mm-hmm. Like right. stuff like that. Right. It's just like I, I almost I think I forgot about that. I thought because I haven't seen it in a while either. It must have been ten years at least. And I thought maybe I was like, oh, did they get away with the money? Because I wasn't sure. And then I, and then he comes in. And I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's just a great yeah. twist. Yeah, this one, this one, I definitely remembered the ending and uh, snatch. I I had kind of forgotten and mixed up in my head what exactly happens at the very end. But um, I do love the way both movies end, like without quite seeing the ending. You know? Yeah. Right. Like with uh, with Jason Fleming hanging off the bridge with the phone in his mouth, and it's like, <laughs> is he going to answer the phone? Is he going to drop the guns? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or what would you, what would you do, Milsey? You're holding onto a bridge, phone in your mouth. I have to imagine right I would uh, I would just like you know set the guns back down and check the phone, but who the fuck knows, mm, right? Or if it was just so easy, oh, I'll just throw the guns in and then grab the phone. <laughs> <laughs> if it was me, I would have probably fled the country as soon as I thought we were fucked at some point throughout the movie. <laughs> 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 it's not my father's bar. That's uh, you you would be uh, soap the squeaky clean friend that just wanted no part of it. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, he put in his his share too. He was in it as much as the rest of them. It's true. That's very true. But yeah, so yeah Vinnie I'm... Jones, love him in these. I feel like it's all been downhill for him. Yeah. He's pretty good in uh Gone in 60 Seconds. I don't remember him in that. Well, he, he it's he doesn't speak, but <laughs> you know, Well, it's probably better than when he does him. speak in X-Men 3. <laughs> yeah, well, sure, for sure. <laughs> no denying that one. <laughs> but yeah, there's just so many, like, just imagining how Guy Ritchie came up with all of the ins and outs of the story and just all the fun little elements of it, like the uh, the pot farmers and that uh, that gate, that cage that they have yeah, that they never right. keep locked. And then that's great, right. They they just happen to have it locked that one day, and then how the interplay with that happens, where the dudes behind the cage have like a giant machine gun, and they're on the other mm-hmm. side pelting them with like BBs, and you got to think like when guys coming up especially, but I guess any time where they have random things like that, like drug dealers with the cage on the door, it's like Guy Ritchie must have known a guy <laughs> or knows yeah. someone that knows someone For that sure. has that same yeah. thing. You know, I love that. There has to have been stuff from his real life that he was pulling from, like mm-hmm. just because it, it. I mean, it all feels a little over the top, but at the same time, it just feels like such a lived-in little mini universe he's created. Sure, it feels very authentic. Yeah, and just like yeah. the setting up of um, the girl, uh, I think it was Tanya, who's always sleeping on the couch, and like mm-hmm. nobody ever notices her there. So it's like. You take the time to set up over the course of the movie multiple times that she's just like there, even though nobody notices her, so that they can pay it off when they're being right. robbed and mm-hmm. uh, all that stuff. It's just like I said earlier; it becomes a little ridiculous how much everything ties together at the end when it's all finally coming to a head. But it's all right. been built up so well throughout the movie that it you don't care because 
it just feels natural mm-hmm. in how just, unbelievable yeah. it is. Yeah, it's like signs of a great script yeah. where he really thought everything out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious, like, what the editing process on the script was. If he had like editors, or if it was just all him. I mean, he's it was independent, so maybe it was all him. But um, yeah, it's so tight. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So tight. Well, it's a lot of it hinges on. I mean, so much of it hinges on all those connections working out yeah. in the end that you'd think it had to have been from the get go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm such a big part of the story itself and i feel like we gotta wind this review up soon but there's just so, we gotta just rattle off a couple of the other characters because there's multiple we have not even gotten to yet um barry the baptist who's like the tough guy that works for harry yep. mm-hmm. uh, who hires the two bumbling idiots to go steal the guns um yep. I love that guy. Mm-hmm. Just another person who, like, the minute you see him and he, he says three lines, you feel like you know who that character is. True. The two bumbling idiots that he hires to go steal the guns, mm-hmm. like, that sequence is hilarious. Yeah. They feel like cartoon characters. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Warner Brothers characters. <laughs> well, right down to the fact that the one dude gets, like, shot in the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's got, like, the split hair with the smoke coming up. It's like fucking Bugs Bunny getting shot and smoke coming out yeah, between yeah. his ears or something. That's funny. And then there's uh, uh, Rory Breaker, the uh, the black mobster. Um, oh, who yeah, they steal creepy. his weed and try and sell it back to him mm-hmm. <laughs> immediately too. Like there's no <laughs> the like same day. <laughs> they got uh, the Greek there going right back to him. Yeah. Too. Oh, Nick the Greek, a great character, Greek. like a mobster mm-hmm. who like wants to be such a badass, but every time he's confronted with anybody else who's in the game, he just seems like a bumbling idiot. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. The silly recurring jokes of him like dropping the uh, the glass on the table in Rory's office yeah. which which happened by mistake on set and Guy Ritchie left it in there <laughs> oh really when, when the original table broke yeah oh, wow I had no idea oh yeah yeah I feel like is there anybody else that we're forgetting um I like uh I like the dude who plays plank um oh he's great the kind of curly haired guy who gets shot in the neck with a mm-hmm. bb gun yeah yep. the little the little uh firecracker kind of guy yeah, that mm-hmm. guy's good yeah there's just so there's so much to love in this movie. There really is. The guy, the guy that was counting the money, the, the kind of like the head of the the pot farmers. That guy seems so mm-hmm. familiar, but like I looked in his IMDb and I just don't recognize him from anything. I, although Underworld, <laughs> maybe you recognize him, Dex. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, accurate. Yeah, I, I had to look him up. Like it's there's so many characters in these movies that like, and they are all so like unique looking and like different sizes and shapes mm-hmm. and like voices and stuff that like mm-hmm. I end up knowing a lot of them more just by their look from scene to scene than by their names a lot of times. Yeah, same here. So like you know, I just watched this a couple days ago, but I was like, I am going to forget everybody's name. So I like <laughs> wrote down everybody's name and what character they played. And his was one where I was like, Winston. I remember people <laughs> saying the name Winston. Who the fuck is that? And then I had to look him up. And But he's good in it too. Like yeah. all the idiots around him. And then he's the only one who takes the shit seriously. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, one thing to mention, because it applies to all three movies. This time I noticed it even more than the past was like the Cockney rhyming. That's mm. so big with British people. Yeah. Because uh, I remember uh, Nick the Greek, they they had a name for him that they don't explain because it's not Nick the Greek. It's Nick something else that means Greek through the rhyming slang. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
It's just so fun. And the, yeah, the names he comes up with people too from, you know, this, all the movies pretty much are just really just original and mm-hmm. they don't feel too, you know, like fake or generic or anything. No. I mean, you guys know I'm a big fan of nicknames. <laughs> oh, I know it. So these movies, you know, any Guy Ritchie movie I feel is going to be near and dear to my heart because he's so good with the nicknames. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, one, one bit of trivia okay. I saw when the movie was made and was getting sold, it was real popular over in England when it was trying to get distribution for the U.S. The same producer who was the wife of Sting, she showed it to Tom Cruise, of all people. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise was in a, a screening of it, and when people in the like the distribution house heard he was there and watching it, like tons of people came to the same screening. <laughs> At the end, Tom Cruise just stood up and said, this movie's fantastic. You guys are crazy if you don't buy it. Wow. <laughs> and, that, and that's how it got distribution in the U.S. Wow. I know. Man. Wild. Awesome. Didn't think I could like Tom Cruise any more than I already do. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, what were you going to say, Tony? I uh, Just uh, Vinnie Jones smashing um, a dog's head in the car door was just amazing. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Yeah. Love anybody's head getting smashed in a car door, whether it's <laughs> of course. that guy by Vinnie Jones or the dude in the Daredevil TV show <laughs> mm-hmm. season one by Kingpin. Or the other guy by Vinnie Jones in Snap. <laughs> true, true. The music in this was really good, too. I mean, I don't know um, how uh. much he paid for music, but I know he paid a million dollars to have... Um, lucky star from Madonna and, the, and Snatch, but right, right. <laughs> that was his budget. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, were they, were they she... not married already at that point? I guess. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, no, but she she uh, was a fan of the soundtrack mm-hmm. of Lockstock and reached out to him to release it on right, her on label, record label, yeah. and then and still charged it... him a million bucks to put her song in the movie. I, I was so, blown yeah, away by that. Nice. I couldn't believe, like, I know it costs money to use music and license it, but, like, a million dollars for, like, a little back... And it's playing on the radio. It's not like it's, like, a yeah. like underlying mm-hmm. track of, you know... Uh, One of the characters does say he loves the song in the scene, though. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's Bullet Tooth Tony, which I remember, I remember seeing the movie and laughing because I know they were together in real life at that yeah. point, but I don't know if they were when, when making the movie. Yeah, I know they were married by the time Swept Away came out in like 2003, oh, yeah. but that was, yeah, that... that was like four years after they were producing uh, Snatch. Yeah. yeah, I'm almost positive they were together by the time Snatch was in theaters. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. uh, Lockstock, big thumbs Great up for movie. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so let's move right along. Two years later, the year 2000, we have the movie Snatch. You're always going to have problems lifting a body in one piece. Apparently, the best thing to do is cut up a corpse into six pieces and pile it all together. Would someone mind telling me? Who are you? And when you've got your six pieces, you've got to get rid of them, because it's no good leaving it in a deep freeze for your mum to discover now, is it? Then I hear the best thing to do is feed them to pigs. You've got to starve the pigs for a few days, then the sight of a chopped up body will look like curry to a piss head. You've got to shave the heads of your victims and pull the teeth out for the sake of the piggy's digestion. You could do this afterwards, of course, but you don't want to go sieving through pig shit now, do you? 
they will go through bone like butter. You need at least 16 pigs to finish the job in one setting, so be wary of any man who keeps a pig farm. They will go through a body that weighs 200 pounds in about eight minutes. That means that a single pig can consume two pounds of uncooked flesh every minute. Hence the expression, as greedy as a pig. So as I said, Lockstock had a budget of a little over a million and made 28. Snatch had a budget of 10 million and made 86.3. Pretty decent return on investment for a film like this. (laughs) Wild. Especially when you have people like my father who tried to watch Snatch and like angrily gave up because he couldn't mm. understand what anyone was saying. Uh, my Megan, same problem. Feel- Not so much angrily, but after about fifteen minutes in, she was just she she couldn't she couldn't do the uh, the language. This is definitely barrier. a movie yeah. you can't really like put on in the background. These types of movies, I feel like it's hard to unless you you've seen it like a hundred times and you know exactly what they're saying, but. Like mm-hmm. for me, I have to like really pay attention because you know just understand exactly what they're oh, saying. Oh, they move, they move so fast. Yeah. There's so much information. Yeah, and yeah I mean, if you want to get the... like it, like you said, Tony, if you've seen it a bunch of times and you're just like enjoying it for like, oh, when I look at the screen, there's something I I like. Yeah. But if you want to try and follow the story, this isn't like a oh, I'll leave the TV on while I run to the bathroom real right. fast kind of movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. you gotta pause it. <laughs> yeah. And then when you get to Brad but, Pitt in this, it's even worse. I, I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> I fucking hate pikeys. It's so bad. Like I, th- I thought, before I rewatched it again, I was like, I remember it being bad, but I think I know for the most part all the stuff he says. Forget yeah. it. Maybe half of it I yeah. got in this, this time around. I'd say maybe 20%. I'm positive I know what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. I read that Guy Ritchie gave him that role. He had reached out to, Brad Pitt reached out to Guy Ritchie because he loved Lockstock so much that he wanted to be in one of his movies. But according to the internet, uh, Brad Pitt's British accent was so bad <laughs> that he got him as Mickey instead. Nice. So I, I think that's... Hey, it worked out. I think he's my favorite character from this movie, Mickey. Yeah. Just, I don't know. This, he's just perfect. <laughs> And Brad Pitt. He is good. He's great as that yeah, character. He is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my god! And it's just it's just funny and kind of neat to think of like Brad Pitt is like a huge star, and then you know he gets put into this movie and potentially drew a lot of people in, and then they were probably like, "What the fuck is this Brad Pitt character?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like when it's like that story about how like George Clooney was a fan of South Park and wanted to do a voice, and when they brought him on, they just had him do the voice of a dog, so he was just barking. Yeah, yeah. it's like you get George Clooney, and that's what you do. You get Brad Pitt, yeah. and then you have him as a character that nobody fucking understands. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> so one interesting thing about how this opens, I feel like this movie started that whole, um, that, like, I don't want to say trope, but just maybe, I guess it's a trope of just showing all the characters at the beginning, you know, with, like, a name card introducing you to all the characters, mm-hmm. which I thought was awesome, and but it got so played out over time because people kept started copying that. And it's just yeah. one of those things that just, you know, is just lame now. Yeah, it's too bad because it makes sense. It's yeah. like, you know, serves a purpose yeah. rather than like each character having to be like, oh, hey, Tony. Oh, hello, Rudolph or whatever, <laughs> you know. Like- well, the beautiful thing about these movies 
is I know it's the case with Rock and Rolla, and I'm pretty sure it's the case with this, where it starts with uh, the voiceover. I don't remember if Lockstock has it, but you inevitably have a character doing voiceover and introducing you to all the characters as you go, because otherwise you never would know what the fuck anybody's character is. Yeah. I was going to make a point of this, that Lockstock and Snatch have the voiceover, and Rock and Rolla does not. And I think... Rock and Rolla does have the voiceover. It's, um... What's his name? Uh, Mark Strong as Archie. Yeah, he's narrating true. the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, he does. Oh, you know, what am I even talking about? Yeah. It's definitely in uh, Lockstock as well. It's not, he's he's Bricktop and Snatch, whatever he is in Lockstock. He does the yeah. Oh, voiceover. Um, yeah, um, Sting's buddy. And yeah. then it is it is Turkish in, uh, in, uh, in Snatch. Snatch, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just great. Mm-hmm. He does so good in the voiceover. It's so perfect for the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, even that is a thing that a lot of people criticize about movies is like voiceover. But the way that um, Guy Ritchie does it, it's like playful. It doesn't feel like he's doing it because the movie needs explanation. He's using it to his advantage and like telling fun stories and like making jokes and things with the voiceover. It's almost like he's on the couch with you as you're watching something. He's telling you like (laughs) trivia or something about, Oh, so this happened to this character because of this. Yeah, exactly. Um, this one, I mean, take out the, uh, the gambling scenario and it's, it's very much the same. It's everybody trying to get their hands on the same thing. Just in, in this one, instead of, uh, guns and money, like the last one, it's this giant fucking diamond that, uh, uh, Benicio del Toro's character steals in the opening scene, um, and just everybody's desire for that diamond or for other things that have to do with that diamond brings everybody yeah. together. Well, it's it's loose too because even uh, Turkish and Tommy don't know anything about the diamond yeah, the yeah. entire time. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it, it's a lot looser, I think, than Lockstock. It's there's certainly intertwined. Yeah, that's but... a fair point because you've got like Avi and. Um, uh, Bricktop. Well, no, Bricktop doesn't know anything about the diamond. You've you've got Avi well, and you've got like Tyrone and Saul and Vinny mm-hmm. all want the diamond. And um, what's his name? Uh, the Russian Boris uh, the Blade. Boris. Boris. And then on the other side, you've got Bricktop and uh, Mickey and Turkish and Tommy mm-hmm. and their whole thing. About halfway through is when Saul tells Bricktop about a giant diamond, but. I think at that point, Bricktop's not even taking it seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just like telling them to bring him some money or, the, or he's <laughs> going to kill them and feed them to the pigs. So, <laughs> Yeah, that whole thing with the uh, pigs, feeding people mm-hmm. to pigs, oh. definitely <laughs> something I learned from this film. And oh, do you yeah. think that comes from Guy Ritchie knowing a guy that owns a pig farm? <laughs> uh, it has yeah. to be that or like a right. story he heard in a bar or yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> Once uh, Guy Ritchie had all that money from Lockstock, he... <laughs> Ran afoul of someone with a pig farm. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Benicio del Toro, like, was he? Would he have been a name at the time? Yeah, like he's, an, he he's another one usual who just suspects. like very small part in the movie. Um, kind of disappears early on. Um, just kind of gets things going. And I wonder how much of that is just Guy Ritchie had his people who he had in mind for roles, but then other people wanted to work with him, so he was just like throwing them smaller characters just, you know, to appease them and get some names in his movie. I mean, I feel like, I mean, up until this point, his first big thing was Usual Suspects, and then after that, Fear and Loathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Snatch. So, I mean, maybe to me, I knew, certainly knew who he was. 
But that could even be because I remembered him from uh, License to Kill. <laughs> so Yeah, I definitely didn't know about that one until later. I feel like Usual so Suspects probably would have been the, the first thing. Although I did watch uh, Fear and Loathing pretty early when after it came out as well. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, I, I'm a little. I was a little surprised going back that like that core group of people he had in Lockstock. Um, there were kind of very few of them that came back. Obviously, you have Bricktop was in Lockstock. Mm-hmm. Jason Statham was in Lockstock. Um, Vinnie Jones, and then there's a yeah. small part for Jason Fleming in this. Right. But I was a little surprised that like the dude who played Soap didn't come back. Or, yeah, sure. Um, a lot of those people. Jason Fleming, I love him as one of those gypsies. The gypsies were great. They just seem so mm-hmm. authentic, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my, I think one of my favorite things from the whole movie is when he's just like, Dags. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah. Dags. The Dags. I mean, to, oh, to this day, friend of the show, Joe Lolar, we regularly have that conversation about, oh, you look. I like dags. Oh, dogs. <laughs> like, yeah, I like dags. Like, we could do, we could do that every week, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, hell, I mean, the reason there were plenty of like one liners and things we could have pulled to be the title of this show. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. reason that uh, Pull Your Socks Up is the title is because Joel and I will regularly say that to one another if we're playing a video game, like <laughs> when we were playing. Uh, Rainbow Six Siege, <laughs> and like you'd see somebody past them, and instead of saying duck, we would actually say to each other, pull your socks yeah, yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I feel like that's just in my vernacular now. So mm-hmm. it was the 100%. first thing I thought of when I needed to come up with a title for this episode. Definitely. This this cast is just so, so much fun. This movie's fun. The both of them are, I think, a little bit more so. The fun is ramped yeah. up in oh, Snatch. Totally. It's just so funny. Like, I'm still waiting to use the look, line when I get pulled over by a cop if he asks me what's in the car and I say, seats in the steering wheel. <laughs> Four <laughs> seats in the steering wheel. Uh, oh, just the, you know, I don't want that dog dribbling on my yeah. seats. Like, I think I've said that about every dog I've ever uh, come across <laughs> in a car. Oh, man. Oh. It's just so good. Yeah, there's just a lot of fun sequences in a movie like this. Uh, I feel like this one ramps up the amount of like plots all flying all over the place and how complicated it is. This one, mm-hmm. I think, does get even harder to follow than Lockstock was. Yeah, I think f- for sure because they are, they are very separate. You see the same characters throughout. You know, even uh, Turkish and Tommy cause the giant car crash. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, in the middle of the movie, but to them, they don't even think anything of it. Like, that's one instance of them crossing over. Mm-hmm. Where Lockstock, it definitely follows along. All characters kind of moving perpendicular to each other. Yeah. But it does get tied up. They both get tied up good in the end. No, they absolutely do. Yeah. I just I feel like this one has more groups of characters and more plot lines going yeah. on. And they're not all, oh, like, yeah. completely intersecting, so you're kind of following separately sort of like you know because different mm-hmm. parts are intersecting differently <laughs> but um I, I do a good job even like boris the blade has that horrible reputation with each of the groups yeah. for different reasons yeah. you know i i remember watching this and when i first saw it and um watching every time mickey you know still didn't go down 
And I was like, again? Like, I was, like, so surprised. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe he, he did this again. And you're, like, wondering, like, what um, mm-hmm. uh, Bricktop's going to do. Like, I'm just like, oh, my God. Because yeah. they set you up good with fearing Bricktop with the pig, that whole pig farm part. Oh, God. You're just like, oh, my God. Bricktop's so, terrifying. So when he, like, screws them twice, it's like, you're like, what is going to happen here? This is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This little Bricktop's, like, probably one of my favorite villains. <laughs> Of all time, yeah. it's just it's played so perfectly. His lines are so good. There's, like you said, with like, if you ever get pulled over, mm-hmm. like using that line. <laughs> this one line I love when he's like when they're they're in one of the boxing matches, and one guy gives him shit about like the bad bet, and Bricktop like gets right up in his face and he's like, yeah, he's like, if I throw a dog a bone, I don't want to know if it tastes <laughs> good or not. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a good one. Wait for that one. Yeah, I don't know where so Guy Ritchie good. gets these fucking lines, but these movies <laughs> oh. are just filled with quotable lines. Just filled. I was laughing when the the dog eats the diamond and he tells him to get the diamond. And he's just like, what, do you want me to open up like a can of baked beans? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, that's a little harsh. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. One of my favorite lines that uh, God knows if I'll ever get to use is um, <clears throat> Dennis Farina after the hip-hop cuts and he comes back to America, anything to declare? Yeah, don't go to England. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. The delivery is so perfect on that. Mm-hmm. I love Dennis Farina in this. Just, you know, he's in America. He he is like the, the guy from the outside. And because of the circumstances, he decides to go to England. He hates being there. Yeah. He's so mm-hmm. out of place. And I just, I yeah. love his reactions to everything. <laughs> Um, and just him being teamed up with uh, Bullet Tooth Tony, who's similar to Chris, is like a nice, seemingly well-rounded guy that is also very like imposing and scary. And, mm-hmm. you know, this guy working for Avi and just the relationship that the two of them have, because he's getting paid by Avi, so he treats him like an old friend or something, but then everything that Bull Tooth Tony does and gets involved in, Avi's just mortified by it. <laughs> I, lo- I love the, the two of them together, I really do. Yeah, it's so good. They really are great together. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a funny, we talked about during Lockstock about Vinnie Jones getting locked up or whatever. There's a scene in Snatch where he comes up on the guys that are in the car, and they're like, oh, it's, it's our friend Desert Eagle .50. <laughs> and he's like tapping on the car window. That wasn't Vinny Jones. That was a body double because Vinny Jones was in jail. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, my God. Uh, so just here, seeing, reading those kind of stories just makes me smile because I just love these movies so much. Yeah. It does just make you feel like Vinny Jones is kind of playing himself. Because yeah. oh, sure. he seems like he could be like a nice, fun-loving dude, just with a, mm-hmm. you know, a uh, a switch that gets flipped yeah. very easily. Yeah. Just look, <laughs> don't mess. Apparently, with they him, said you know? in Lockstock when Guy Ritchie wrote the script for um, Big Chris that it, it was the characters to be like Vinnie Jones, like in parentheses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like modeled after yeah, Vinnie yeah, Jones before he was even cast. Yeah, so. uh-huh. I love it. This is another case where uh, <clears throat> I don't even know how to pronounce the guy's name, but the dude who played Tyrone, the driver for the guys who had the diamonds, the the big fat mm-hmm. dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. His name in real life is just A D E. I don't know if that's Ade mm. or something, but no last Probably name. Probably Ade. No last name on IMDb, <laughs> and I don't know how in the hell he ended up in this movie, but it's the first thing he ever acted in, and you know, not like he has a lot of heavy lifting to do, but he 
is hilarious in it at times. Like uh, when his two buddies, Vinny and Saul, are trying to rob the uh, the uh, the bookies, mm-hmm. and then they think they're trapped, and he just strolls up and opens the door, and I forget what he says, but he's just like, "What's going on in here?" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The stuff in the car, just the the funny uh, angle. How many times have I heard Dex say <laughs> right. it's a funny angle over the past twenty five years? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Twenty years, absolutely. <laughs> it's right behind you. <laughs> That whole scene in the bookies is a lot of fun too. That's one of those times where it gets like cartoonish, where mm-hmm. uh, the woman hits the the switch for the um, oh, those yeah. doors to go up, and you don't see what happens until uh, Saul turns and looks, and Vinny is like stuck to the ceiling by the yeah. doors. <laughs> She's got like the best British accent too. Yeah, all bits, all all. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, it's just so good. It just makes me smile. I watched it twice for this show. Oh yeah, yeah. Just uh, today, I was when I was doing stuff after everything I've been watched and kind of just reading through, getting show notes and everything. I was like, I'm just gonna put Snatch on again. <laughs> and it's got uh, one of my favorite Oasis songs in there when uh, Mickey comes out and knocks a dude out, mm. fucking in the oh. bushes. <clears throat> song. T- Tony's way back Oasis oh, fan. Yeah. <laughs> Millsy. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just another movie that every, every scene is fun. Every, every scene has something funny or memorable or interesting about it. Um, it's almost like just a collection of great scenes more than like an amazing movie or something, but it is great the way that everything comes together in the end. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we could, this episode could go on forever just talking about like the little things, but I laugh every time when. You know, they buy the caravan from the Pikeys in the beginning, Tommy and uh, Gorgeous <laughs> George. <laughs> it falls <Yeah>. apart. <laughs> Tommy goes back. He's like, I'll just give you back your caravan. He's like, what do I want with the caravan with no wheels? <laughs> oh, man. It's just so clever. Yeah. It's so smart. Like the script, the dialogue is just so good. The way, the way the 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 gypsies are like talking to each other and like, and like scheming and like the way he like wiggles and stuff, it's just oh my god, it seems so real. Uh, he plays that character so good. Yeah, like he just hung yeah. out in a gypsy oh camp god. for a couple so months good. before filming. And then you get the emotion too when his mother's, you know, gets murdered and like that was yeah. a great scene. Oh my god, the emotion yeah. that Brad Pitt gives, it's great. Yeah, when her it, caravan that's, is that's on fire. A, yeah, that's prominent. You know, in Lockstock, it's good with the tonal changes like that that don't feel, like, real abrupt Mm -hmm. or, you know, they don't, like, throw off the whole movie for me at all. Yeah, well, it's, like, while everything is fun um, outwardly because it's, like, we are looking into the lives of these people, you can imagine, like, in the world of these characters, there's so much crazy, scary shit going on around them all the time that... I, I don't think it feels too jarring when something serious like that does happen or like mm-hmm. people get shot and it doesn't have this like super heavy tone to it because mm-hmm. again, it feels like we are looking in from the outside and seeing the absurdity of it. Whereas Brad Pitt's character in the movie, he's watching his mother burn to death in her caravan. Yeah. But for yeah. us, we just know all of the like <clears throat> connections it has to everything else that is happening. And it's like a part of this tapestry that's being woven. Right. Big, it does real good with the music cues, mm-hmm. like the music that plays during that scene, and using stuff like just Guy Ritchie isms, like the slow mo for a scene like that. Mm-hmm. Yep, 
just masterful. Yeah. Yeah, it just makes you wonder, like, with how clever and how, like, great the dialogue is and everything. I mean, he, we, we will get to in, in a minute, uh, Rock and Rolla. Um, but, like, you know, Swept Away was him trying to do something different, you know. I don't know. I imagine that a lot of that was the influence of Madonna and him being together at the time. But, like, I do wonder, like, what made him want to make that movie? Like, it's a remake, um, and it's just a completely different subject matter. Uh, and then even after that, um, I read that he got into some, like, like the Kabbalah or something, and yeah. that influenced the movie Revolver a lot, which mm. I don't know a whole lot about the Kabbalah, but, um, I mean, I did say earlier that that movie feels, like, very tonally different from the Snatches and the Lockstocks, while feeling like it's trying to creep into that area. But just like, is is it a case of like he wrote these two movies and then just like used up all of the great references to his real life and stuff like that he had, like all the, the stories he'd heard in pubs, like he'd already used up all the best bits or something or. Yeah, Cause I mean, I his mean... career changes drastically after snatch and Lockstock, And he's gone back here and there and tried to dip his toe back into these kind of movies. But for the past decade, it feels like he's just thrown his hands in the air and been like, hey, if a studio is going to give me a bunch of money to do some blockbuster that doesn't really have any of my essence in it at all, what the hell? At least, you know, people go and yeah. see those movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be that. I mean, he just could, you know, maybe he enjoys it because he, you know, came back for two Sherlock Holmeses. Maybe just. And they're talking about doing another one. Like, that's yeah. that's always on the table. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, uh, let's be interesting to know. Let's uh, go ahead, unless anyone else has anything to say about Snatch before we move on. And uh... I have one, just okay. one final interesting anecdote. Uh, Sean Connery was offered Rooktop. <laughs> wow! And he enjoyed the script, and but wanted to see Lockstock at the time. He hadn't seen it yet, so I think Lockstock was coming out or something, and so the Snatch was already in the works. Mm-hmm. Matthew Vaughn set up a viewing for Sean Connery, watched the movie. He loved it and told him how it was great. And then he whispered to him that, you can't afford me. (laughs) And then that was the end of it. (laughs) Oh, wow. I thought that was great. That is good. You can only imagine. I mean, Bricktop is so perfect, so I wouldn't want anything to be changed. But But God, now I need some time to sit and imagine (laughs) Sean Connery in that role, like giving the speech about fucking being fed to pigs. I don't think he could play it so, like, nasty. uh, It definitely would not be the same. No, no. Just just interesting that, like I always say, that like fly on the wall stuff of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just love to hear any of it. I'm definitely a fan of that. Um, but let's go ahead and roll into Rock and Rolla. Uh, oh, from I see what you did there. <laughs> eight years after Snatch in the year 2008. Mm-hmm. Bandy, you ever ask a stupid question like that again, you see Danny there, he's going to slap you. I'm sorry, Arch. I was, I was just trying to use initiative. Danny, slap him. <laughs> With the right, Danny, properly. No, 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 no. Come on, do it properly with the back of the right hand. What, is this a tennis match, Arch? Slap him. Oh, 
like this. Now, if you can master a slap like that, there's no need for your clients to walk back. They will open up like a fountain full of words. No need for strong violence, no, no. They're transported back to their childhood. Putty in your hands. Ask Bandit. Look, thinks he's back at school. But he never went to school, though, Arch. You want to slap as well, Daniel? Eh? Now, if the slap don't work, you cut them or you pay them, but you keep the receipts because this ain't the mafia. All right? Now get out there, look for the painting. Uh, so like I say, he he went and he did swept away, did not perform well. Uh, kind of, sort of came back with Revolver, and then it feels like that was like a half attempt at doing another snatch or lock stock, and then he like, that didn't perform well, so he either came to his senses <laughs> or just said, you know what, I, I've got to like give a real go at what I'm good at again, mm-hmm. and mm. turned out rock and roll which, as I mentioned, I was supremely excited for at the time. And while I don't remember my exact feelings, I just know that I walked out feeling like it did not scratch the itch that I wanted it to. Yeah, I saw it in the theater, and I was just very underwhelmed, and it felt like I didn't connect to it at all. And I haven't seen it since the theater. So yeah. rewatching it now, I kind of... I, there's definitely things I like about it that I'll talk about, but like I even st- still I don't feel like I can connect to it like the other two movies. Yeah, I uh, I mean I saw it in the theater, haven't seen it since. Uh, didn't remember really anything about it. I'd forgotten who half the cast was, but I would honestly bet that some of these people, like Tom Hardy, Idris Elba, this might have been the first thing I ever saw them in. Yeah, potentially. Um, but I see how this is structurally similar to stuff like Snatch and Lockstock. For sure. I can see it's him trying to do the same thing, but it's missing something. It doesn't have the same energy as those. Um, I think Snatch is like an hour 40-something. This, I didn't look at the time, but it feels long. It feels like it might be over two hours. It's two hours. And one kind of big difference to me is how like quietly this movie ends mm-hmm. like the other two like we talked about with uh, like Jason Fleming hanging over the bridge and Lockstock or whatever like those movies end and it still feels like another scene could happen and then all of a sudden the credits hit you and you're like oh okay that was a fun time <laughs> and mm-hmm. this it's got like a more somber ending and it just kind of ends like on a fizzle for me yeah, I, for me too. And I, it was cringe kind of worthy that it ended setting up a sequel. Yeah, I feel like that was its main because it left mm. some character stuff hanging. I think assuming he'd get a sequel. Yeah, the which the, he's he has written, but it just hasn't gotten around to making. Yeah, the final title card says Johnny Archie and the Wild Bunch will be back in the real rock and roller, which it's already weird to me that um like Archie he's there the whole time he narrates the movie okay yep. the wild bunch are like the crew with uh Gerard Butler and Idris Elba and Tom Hardy and they're pretty big parts of the movie and then uh Johnny Johnny Quid the rock and roller mm-hmm. of the title like he's there throughout but he he doesn't feel like a main character he feels like a side character that everyone else is trying to find i feel like he's like a side quest and i feel like know? johnny should have been played by like like that should have been the brad pitt role or something like they should have hired someone like should have got someone big or something i think for that role i don't know he just didn't mm-hmm. seem like 
a rock star to me, or not that he, I don't know, he he should have had more something more about him. I don't know, more charisma or something. He just was flat. Considering for me. that the only other thing I could name with Toby Kebbell in it is uh, the Fantastic Four, the the uh, the one with um, Michael B. Jordan mm-hmm. from a couple years ago, mm-hmm. um, and like this was probably close to a decade before that came out. Like knowing him only as Doctor Doom in that movie, I was like rewatching this, like pretty impressed by him and some of his scenes, like his charisma and stuff. But just that character in general, it doesn't feel like the movie should end on like Johnny will be back in the sequel because yeah. it's like of all the characters, I don't care about seeing more of him. Right. Um, like there's nothing from the movie that made me excited to see more Johnny. Yeah, of it's all like in that final epilogue scene, he became the character that he will be in the next one. But up until then, it's like he's not someone I care to follow. Like, yeah. I'm into the other characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I guess that uh, Guy Ritchie like planned this as a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, as recently as a couple of years ago, he was still talking about like, like he said, some producer like wants to pay him to make it, but he's just too busy. Which I don't believe. That just sounds like, <laughs> you know, him making excuses and not accepting defeat. You never know, Mills. This one cost uh, eighteen million to make and only made mm. twenty five mm. in the box office. So, mm. is that con- what's that considered? Is that like a that's not a bomb because the bomb loses. It's money, not a right? bomb. Oh. Yeah, it it made money, but not enough to make anybody want to do yeah. a sequel. Right. Like, if that few people saw the first one, then even fewer would see the second one, and it would probably end up bombing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This one felt, uh, overall, because this was my first viewing, I thought this one was too serious. Mm-hmm. It, it was missing, like, the lighthearted. Yeah, yeah. it just wasn't fun, fun, like I said. Of the other two. It feels long in addition yeah. to actually being long, because it's, yeah. it's kind of dry. And I'm not a Gerard it, Butler fan, but I just don't think his casting was good either. Like, I think he needed someone else no, in that role. I'd agree. Why wasn't uh, it Jason Statham? I know that's who it should have been. Yeah, I'll tell. I'll tell you, <laughs> please. Uh, Jason Statham. He had a uh, scheduling conflict with Death Race. Oh, so he was oh, going to. Do you man. think he was going to play that role? Does yeah. it say that? It doesn't uh, say what role. But, but come I can on, yeah, he, Let he me ask you: If he was going to play a character in this movie, yeah. who else would he be? Exactly. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Man, I think this is missing. This movie's missing some stuff for me. Two things: Jason Statham and Vinnie Jones. Yeah, Vinnie Jones. Yeah. Vinnie Jones is one of those maniac <laughs> oh, yeah. German killers would yeah. have been perfect. Those guys sure, were great, though. Sure. Those guys were pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Those are probably my favorite part of the movie. That scene where they're chasing <laughs> them. Uh, that's yeah. great. Well, you know, I liked that the heist, I think, would have been better if they just showed it kind of in real time. Because even the way they cut that up and edited that, mm-hmm. I wasn't crazy about. Because it was like told kind of in flashback. I didn't mind that so much. Like, that honestly is the one part of the movie that really felt like Snatcher Lockstock to me. Just the energy and the silliness of it when, like, you know, uh, Gerard Butler is in that chase and the the one guy's out of shape, so he just, like, can't catch up (laughs) with him. Yeah. I mean, I liked all that. It was was the presentation of it. I didn't. I think if they just showed that whole part as one scene, I would have liked so much better than the way they cut it up. Yeah. Like I said, I didn't mind that so much. Like having having not seen the movie in a long time and not remembering how it played out, when he walks in to the restaurant, like the fancy restaurant with a limp and like an injury on his head, with a bag of money, mm-hmm. um, for 
Dandy Newton, I was thinking to myself, mm-hmm. oh, are they not going to show that scene at all? So I was at least glad that they did. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe sure, I was yeah. just like pleasantly surprised that they did. <laughs> but yeah, I was actually I was actually kind of um, caught off guard that he walked in there like that. And I was like, why are they showing this? Like, you know, he's all bloody. Like, what's going on? Yeah, it just kind of threw me off. Yeah. It didn't fit right. Yeah. It didn't fit correctly. It felt like for me. Mm-hmm. I also feel like the, um, the the whole idea of you know it's all like real estate and that type of stuff as opposed to you know like a tangible diamond or a diamond or money. bags of money. Yeah, like it's just yeah. hard to connect to that. You know, it's just yeah, it's just not as interesting. Like you yeah. said, it's not as tangible, and it feels like in the other movies you would have like like uh, Hatchet Harry or Bricktop as the the people who are. Like the entire plot is happening because they are like have people under their thumb mm-hmm. and they're like the bad guy. But then like Tom Wilkinson, if you wanted to say based on screen time who the main character is, I think Tom Wilkinson would be up there with Gerard Butler for main character. And if he's supposed to be like the big like crime boss that everybody else like the whole plot is happening because of what he wants it just it feels like he shouldn't be in the movie as much as he is it feels like he's mm-hmm. the main character when he should just be the impetus for yeah. everybody yeah. else getting into well, crazy he, shit he is he is the connective tissue i guess yeah so that's pro and then it's like after you have someone like boris the blade and snatch like mm-hmm. the russian bad guy in this is just another like businessman i don't know yeah. it's not as yeah. interesting exactly it's just boring yeah kind of boring i like tom hardy in it yeah, uh, I read that this is what got him Inception, hmm. which hmm. then got him Dark Knight Rises. Mark Strong was, I thought, was did really good in it too, though. He was, mm-hmm. he was good. Yeah, I like Mark Strong a lot in general, but uh, he was I never. I never thought like kind of either way about Gerard Butler before, but I didn't like him in this. I agree with Tony on that. He just didn't bring bring anything to it for me. I've never been a big Gerard Butler fan. Like, I feel like the thing everyone would go back to for him is Three Hundred which is a movie that I never really cared for all that much, like right from when I saw it in the theater and almost fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, he's kind of fallen into the B-level action movies like White mm-hmm. House Down or or no, Olympus Has Fallen was the one he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Channing Tatum was uh, White House Down. And movies like that Geostorm movie. Uh, right. Like just shit like that. And at least Law-abiding in- citizen was good, but I don't know if it's because of anything he did. Mm. I mean, I thought that the first Olympus Has Fallen was okay, but I mean, it does. It still doesn't feel like a, you know a, a great film that you know. Right. It, it's kind of a movie that's deserving of him and his level of acting. Mm-hmm. I will say, I liked him more in this than I think any of those other movies, just because he did have like a little bit of that guy Ritchie writing behind him and. He was yeah. more of a character in this than he is in most movies where he's just generic good guy, you know? But he's still not, he pales in comparison to someone like Jason Statham, mm-hmm. which is even funny to say because Jason Statham plays in the same circles as Gerard Butler these days too. Mm-hmm. Right. But right. we've seen that he has potential for so much more. He's, Jason Statham's got the just that little more, couple ticks of charisma, I think. Yeah. One person I... Uh, did not enjoy in this, which I don't think I just like him as an actor, is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Um, just like his line delivery, I kind of felt this way with his Fast and the Furious roles and felt it in this too. Is it just kind of every time I see him in a movie, I feel like he's just delivering lines of dialogue. He doesn't, he just doesn't sell it for me, and he didn't in this, so it was kind of 
you know, watching him throughout didn't do anything for me. I like Jeremy. I like Jeremy Piven from Entourage, but he I don't think he had much to work with. Nice. I've never been a big Jeremy Piven fan personally. I like Ludacris in the Fast and the Furious movies. I think just because I like those movies so much. But mm-hmm. like the two of them, like I one of the things I did remember and could have told you about this. Like I like ask me a month ago, I could not have told you Tom Hardy or Idris Elba were in this. I probably wouldn't have even remembered that uh, Tandy Newton was the the female lead. But mm-hmm. I could have told you Jeremy Piven was in it. I don't know why mm-hmm. I remembered that, but. Based on the fact that I remembered that, I thought he and, by association, Ludacris were going to be in it way more. But it honestly feels like those two characters could have pretty much been cut from the movie, and it wouldn't have really affected that much. (laughs) It kind of felt like uh, just adding more stars to the cast. Yeah, it uh, it kind of, to me, felt like Guy Ritchie had sort of forgotten how to... Mm -hmm split the story into all these different like little avenues and have them all come together and it was just like him thinking oh here's where i can have another <laughs> side story you yeah, know the whole thing just feels at the end of the day like a a hollow fake version of snatcher lockstock yeah mm-hmm. i did feel like i enjoyed the movie more than i was expecting to because again i i watched it once and avoided it for all those years so, like, I didn't hate it while I was watching it this time, but, yeah, watching it in such close proximity to the other two, it yeah. definitely pales in comparison. I certainly didn't hate it. I mean, I liked Tom Hardy. I liked Idris Elba. I mean, overall, the story, the payoff, is it is what it is. It's it's not bad. I wouldn't say it's bad, but it, it doesn't compare to the yeah, other two. The interesting um, revelations about <clears throat> Lenny and stuff, like, was, was yeah, uh, clever. Yeah, was cool. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah. I'll give him that. I mean, it felt like, especially from, I remember nothing of Revolver, except that I really didn't like it, so I know I like this I gotta try and, I think I'm gonna try and check Revolver out. It's been, it's been what, like, uh, 18 years or something? Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're a fan of the early Guy Ritchie stuff, I feel like it's an oddity that you have to see just for the context of, like, it in a conversation about Guy Ritchie, but definitely don't go in expecting much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, if I had to choose, I definitely prefer Rock and Roller to Revolver based it's on my funny, recollection. Because I loved Guy Ritchie movies. You know, I loved Snatch and Lockstock so much, you know, before Revolver came out that I was so excited to go see it. Didn't see it based off of someone telling me it sucked. And I was like, I'll see it when it comes on DVD or something. And it's just one of those things. Never, never watched it. It's like, why? <laughs> and then, you know, it's not just like some random movie I thought I'd like. It was like, I loved Guy Ritchie movies. So it's like, I don't understand why I never got around to watching that. So strange yeah. how that gets away from me, you know? Well, it probably doesn't help that nobody ever told you it was good yeah. and you needed to check it out. Like, one yeah. person saying it's not good is probably enough to, like, mm. skip it in the theater. But then why bother tracking it down? But if, I'm a completist, like, you It's know? never on your mind because, like, mm. nobody else cares about it. <laughs> but being a completist where, like, I want to take in the whole filmography, like, I, I'm that type of person... It's just odd to me that I never got around to seeing it because it was on my yeah. mind for like a year back, and then I was like, I gotta check that out, and it just never happened. Mm-hmm. So, and then I'll watch nope. that with no uh, time Ar- the King Arthur. <laughs> so, that's the thing is, I actually have seen every Guy Ritchie movie because I've seen Swept Away. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I was like, oh man, I want to watch it to complete my Guy Ritchie filmography, but <laughs> I was, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but when I was in high school, I was like with a friend or maybe it was after high school or I was home on summer vacation from the Kubert school or something. 
but I was like with a friend and we had to go to somebody else's house who I didn't know for some reason to like pick up a, a sibling or something like that. And we just ended up hanging out at this person's house for hours and Swept Away was on and we watched Swept Away and I don't know why. <laughs> but I watched, yeah. you know, just out of general basic sort of pseudo interest for Guy Ritchie, I've seen Man from Uncle. I saw the Sherlock Holmes movies. I watched King Arthur, which was fucking atrocious. <laughs> I'll probably still watch King Arthur at some point. It's real bad. Just because. Yeah. I liked I liked the first Sherlock Holmes I think I like them both. Not the second one, not as much. Yeah, from what I remember, but I couldn't tell you a whole lot about either of them. Yeah, but um, Man from Uncle, I didn't see, but basically because he made Lock, Stock, and Snatch, I'll just kind of always be a Guy Ritchie fan. I think. Yeah, it's tough to say. Like, so here's the thing for me that put it into perspective for me a little bit because I, I would be the same way. Like, I love Snatch. I love Lock, Stock. That'll never change. Um, I'll always hope that Guy Ritchie will go back to his roots and make another movie similar to those that is of better quality than something like Rock and Rolla. But like at this point, especially, there's been so many non-Snatch and Lockstock movies that he's made that you can't, I think, just put him into the Guy Ritchie box and think of those two films. Mm-hmm. And nothing mm-hmm. said that to me more than, uh, <clears throat> so you know, uh, we all draw our own comics and like would like to get into the comic industry and i actually went along with joel who we've met who we've mentioned a couple times to the uh the cubert school um to you know learn to draw comics and stuff and back then my like creator-owned comic that i like dreamed of doing was a book that was basically snatcher lock stock but with superheroes oh and it was like that was the thing that I was always like weaseling it into assignments when I could. And if we ever got like a free opportunity to work on whatever comics we wanted, I would always work on that. And there was a period in one of my classes, um, and this would have been around like 2003, 2004, 2005, where we had to do like a fake pitch meeting. And so I had drawn a couple pages of this comic and I had like my little elevator pitch. And when I gave my elevator pitch to the teacher, I I used a line, something along the lines of, um, imagine a Guy Ritchie movie with superheroes. And the teacher looked at me and was like, I know what you're trying to say, but I mean, the last movie that he put out was swept away and that's all people are going to think of now. And I was like, oh, you're kind of right. Like... (laughs) <laughs> it's it's not as simple as just saying a Guy Ritchie movie and expecting people to know what you mean anymore. Mm. Yeah, that's true. But I will always fondly look back at the the old days and uh um I mean well, I just right. read this today uh that uh he is currently filming a new movie mm-hmm. that's called Tough Guys, tough guys. spelled T O F F Tough, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is apparently him going back and trying to do another snatch and lock stock type of movie. Like it feels like every couple of years he like goes away and does other stuff and then comes back and tries to do it all over again. So similar to rock and roll, who knows if he'll be able to pull it off, but, uh, the cast is interesting and concerning at the same time because attached to the film are Matthew McConaughey, Mm. Hugh Grant, Colin Farrell, and Kate Beckinsale. I'm in. And I mean, I'm in, of course, but the only one that really seems to fit is Colin Farrell to me. Like, if he is trying to make like another British crime film, 
Mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey and Hugh, well, I mean, Hugh Grant's British, but when have you ever seen him in something that wasn't like a romantic comedy? Well, <laughs> based on what I read, too, it's tough guys. It's a British drug lord tries to sell off his highly profitable empire to a dynasty of Oklahoma billionaires. Uh, so Matthew McConaughey so, is an Oklahoma billionaire. Yeah, <laughs> could be. Crosses the pond. So Yeah. I mean, I'll be very curious to see it. But, this could uh, be the... the not the, written by This Guy could Ritchie. be the Pulp oh. Fiction of uh, Hugh Grant's career. So. Huh. Well, maybe. That right there, though, you just saying that, Dax, I didn't know that. Not written by Guy Ritchie. I have no expectations oh. for it now. Jeez, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, because it, it looks like Guy Ritchie wrote Aladdin. Which <laughs> Well, that's in mm-hmm. post-production now, because that's yeah. like... Like most of that movie is probably going to be CG, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, we we got away from it a bit. A bit but uh, and does anyone have anything else to say about rock and roll? <laughs> uh, I feel like we kind of covered it. Yeah, I like some of the character stuff between uh, um, Mumbles, which is Idris Elba, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. Handsome One Bob. Two, <laughs> Han- and Handsome Bob, <laughs> yeah. which is the the Wild Bunch as they call them. Um, yeah, Tom Hardy was in it more than I expected just because I, I was thinking like this is early for him and uh, I didn't remember that he was in it, but I liked him. I was a little concerned mm-hmm. about how offensive it might get when he first tells uh, Gerard Butler's character that he's gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but right. then uh, I think that they redeem themselves with where it goes and the conversation Gerard Butler has with uh, Idris Elba a little bit later on. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, they handled that good. I think the same. Yeah. Same way. I like Idris Elba a lot. I thought he was good in this. I was happy to see him in it. Mm-hmm. He's got a great part where they're at that party. They're at like a dinner kind of nighttime party, and this the I think it's a, he's a lawyer comes over to talk to him, and he's like, "Oh, you guys are the uh, wild bunch. Huh? I hear I hear you guys are uh, tough or whatever." And Idris Elba just flicks his cigar into the guy's drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says, are you, "Are you guys? I hear you're dangerous." And he's like, "I am dangerous." <laughs> he flicks it. I was like, "Oh, that was good. Well done." And then I think the lawyer like asks him for a favor or something like that, and Idris Elba's like, uh, says something along the lines of like, "Well, we can do that for you, but keep in mind." I'm dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I would, again, like I said, because of the first two movies, I'll I'll still consider myself a Guy Ritchie fan. Like, mm-hmm. there's still a guy I would like to meet. And if another, it's not like I'm running out to see every, every one of his movies, clearly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I don't know if I'd see it in a theater, but I'd see a rock and roll sequel. He was a very you interesting know. guy. He was on the, the Joe Rogan podcast one time and for like three hours. Mm-hmm. And very interesting. Yeah, I listen yeah. to that and like, just think he's a, a cool dude, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It just, it's tough for me <laughs> to care all that much anymore when he's just like churning out the like big studio blockbuster <laughs> movies. And I don't really have a problem with big studio blockbuster movies as long as they're good. But largely mm-hmm. I would say that his output in the last like eight to ten years has not been good. Well, how much of that do you blame on him versus, well, I don't know what he's written, but, you know, how much of it is to be blamed on? I mean, I guess, you know, the guy's got to work, he's got to make money, but uh, my thing is just, like, he's taking these jobs, and they're not interesting, and the scripts aren't good. 
You and like get maybe hungry. he does his best to try and make something out of it. Like there is definitely some Guy Ritchie isms in the first uh, Sherlock Holmes movie with like the yeah. slow mo and stuff like that. Like you can still see it in there. But by the time you get to King Arthur, that could have been any fucking person, any jobber. I mean, honestly, at this point, that's the thing. I feel like at this point in his career, I would call Guy Ritchie a jobber. And now I'm just curious. I'm not even arguing that. But like, what movies are you basing that on? The two Sherlock Holmeses, the Man from Uncle, uh, the King Arthur one, and the fact that he's just like one of the other directors that Disney has tapped, like John Favreau, to do Aladdin, mm, the live okay. action Aladdin remake. Mm-hmm. As you guys may know, uh, I am very much against the remaking of classic Disney movies in live action. I didn't know that of you. I do agree with it. Yeah, I'm just like, I saw Jungle Book thought it was really bad in addition to just not being as good as the animated original. Um, Have no interest in seeing the Beauty and the Beast one or Lion King or Aladdin or any of the other numerous ones they're fucking working on at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just feels to me like when you get tapped to do one of those and you say yes, that's just like, you know, again, who am I to judge? But from my point of view, it's just like that's a... That's a jobber if I've ever seen it. <laughs> like, there's no part of me that believes that Guy Ritchie is, like, passionate about making a new Aladdin movie based on the the animated Disney one. See, when those kind of things happen, the only thing I can think is that sometimes people just, like, I'll do one for them and then they'll let me do one for me type of thing. Yeah. And is that is that how you have to go through the Hollywood system? I mean, Maybe there are directors is? who do that. And you see stuff like when John Favreau made Chef, for example, in between like, mm-hmm. you know, his big Marvel movies and everything else. And Yep. But then I mean, like, if it's one for them and one for me, Guy Ritchie's now five in the hole for them. <laughs> but I gotta wonder, it's kinda like what you were saying, like did he he seems like he took a lot of the stuff from his personal life, like from the other two, and maybe he ran out of cool stories. But it's yeah. like, does he have anything interesting to say anymore? Yeah. You know, that happens. Like, Yeah, is he is he that far removed from the CD yeah. underbelly yeah, I mean, of it's, it's, London? It's the same know? kind of thing that Jesse and I have talked about a billion times on Sidetracked when it comes to, like, comic book artists, because it's another thing that we're passionate about and, you know, feel like we know a fair amount about. But, like, there's an artist who comes on the scene and they're really interesting and their art feels like fresh and original and it feels like they're putting their all into it. And then you cut to, like, 20 years later and someone, like, you know, John Romita Jr. or Mike Mignola, whether or not you want to call their art bad now, which I wouldn't necessarily do, it's different and it feels like it's lost some of that luster. And I think it's mm-hmm. the same thing a lot of times with filmmakers, like look mm-hmm. at Kevin Smith, look at yeah. Guy Ritchie. Um, I think it's rare that somebody can keep that like kind of independent creative spirit going like someone like Quentin Tarantino. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's debatable between a lot of people, whether some of his movies that he's put out recently are, you know, up to the same quality as other stuff, but it always feels like there's an integrity there with him. And my Mm -hmm. thing is like, somebody was going to get hired to direct the King Arthur movie that was going to get made no matter what it happened to be Guy Ritchie and he got paid for it, but I didn't feel any integrity in that movie. And if Guy Ritchie put his best foot forward in trying to make that movie good or unique in some way, I sure as hell couldn't tell. Mm. I mean, he wrote he wrote screenplay, too. Yeah. There's a couple written by, so I, you know, I don't know if he took a crack at it. It's it's just one of those it's one of those decisions where I'm like I was like, "Man, did he grow up wanting to do a King Arthur movie and that's what we got, you know, type of thing?" Yeah. 
I don't know. I'm and I mean if it it's tough to like sit back and not feel like an asshole just like ripping on people you don't know for shit that they, you know, worked really hard on and made a lot of money for or whatever, but um I just don't look at that movie and feel like Guy Ritchie was the right person to do it or was necessary mm. for that project to get made. And Guy mm. Ritchie's going to do what Guy Ritchie's going to do. But um yeah, I like what I want to see as a fan of a specific era of his films is for him to potentially make more movies like that. Maybe that will just be a you know, an uphill struggle that'll never come to fruition like Rock and Roller. Yeah. Uh, every time he tries it, you know, this new Tough Guys movie we're talking about, maybe it'll be another example, but I am definitely less interested now that I know that he's not writing it. Yeah. Well, just He's one guy I would certainly be curious. Like, I should, like, look for an interview just to see if he touches on that at all, yeah. how different his filmography's become. If, if it really is, he's like, oh, you know, I just... <laughs> I want to make action movies now. For you know, sure, be, my is it as simple as that? My ears will always perk up when I hear that Guy Ritchie's related to a film. But yeah, it's not necessarily always going to make me the most interested to see them anymore. Mm. I think unless they're mm. of a certain type. Because, like yeah. I said, I've seen every Guy Ritchie movie, including Swept Away, just by chance. Uh, but I have no intentions of seeing his Aladdin. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you on. Well, just quickly, I'm with you on the. I don't want to see animated movies turned into live yeah, that's action. Yeah, bad idea. Though. Or turned into CGI and referred to as live <laughs> yeah, action. Right. Yeah, you know. But I did, you know, uh, I saw someone on Twitter say, if you know, they're gonna keep making all these animated movies into live action, let's start making live action movies into animated <laughs> ones. And I'm all for hey, it. Hey, so, now we're talking. <laughs> you know. So. All right. Well, that got really off of rock and roller. But anything else to say about rock yeah, and roller before we cap this bastard no. off? No, I think no, we're good. I think that'll be the last time I ever watch uh, it. I have, <laughs> I have a. Uh, I'll keep it on my shelf. I have a question. Uh huh. So, I think by the time I watched, I watched these in Lockstock, then no, I'm sorry, I watched Snatch, Rock and Roller, then Lockstock. At whatever point, maybe by the time I watched Rock and Roller, I was like, I think I can like boil all the three movies down to. A few parts, and then I came up with four parts for each one. I want to see if you guys agree or disagree. Okay. Lockstock. Gambling, robbery, weed, and vintage guns. <laughs> yes. Okay. Snatch. It's gambling, boxing, dogs, and caravans. <laughs> Dags. Okay. A rockerola is land deals, robbery, paintings, and snitching. Yeah. Mm, yeah, good yeah. job. That pretty much yeah. that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was trying to think. I was like, and I was like, there's some, you know, there's certain connecting things. You got a couple with robbery, a couple with gambling. What would know? a revolver be? <laughs> well, I can't remember. <laughs> no, but I'm curious. As I was writing these down, I was like, oh, I wonder when. I, yeah, I looked at revolver. I was like, I don't think I want to rewatch it though. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, like based on memory, having not seen revolver in a long fucking time. Uh, if I had to try and do that <laughs> with my limited memory, it would be uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, what's his name? Uh, fucking main character from uh, Goodfellas, uh, Ray Liotta. Yeah, Ray Liotta. It would be sad Ray Liotta, <laughs> uh, Jason Statham with hair, <laughs> uh, unnecessary animated sequences, and hotel hallways. 
that. That's oh, based on my memory. Same. Now, Tony, watch like... that movie and okay. tell me how accurate I am. <laughs> okay. No, I was going to say, now I have to watch it to see if that adds up. <laughs> Do you think he was... See, when I was doing this uh, during Snatch, I was like, I was like, what's more important, dogs or diamonds? And I was like, you know, the diamond really is kind of just a MacGuffin. Like, it could be anything. <laughs> yeah. But the, the dog is clearly more important. <laughs> I'm down. That's how I that's how I got to that. Um something I forgot to say really quick back when we were talking about Lockstock. Did you guys know that they made a spin-off TV show? Yeah. I, I didn't called that, yeah. just Lockstock dot 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 was the name of it <laughs> and it lasted seven episodes, but it was produced and some of the episodes were written, I think, by Guy Ritchie. Hmm. Um Any and interest? it was just like I would be curious to see it. Um mm-hmm. I don't think it really had any of the, the cast, but uh, and I it also almost sounded like an anthology series of like weird random crime oh, yeah. stories. But yeah. uh, I would a hundred percent be interested in at least checking out an episode. I mean, from what I read, his stuff is very popular in England. I mean, Rock and Roller was the number one movie. Yeah, well, the week that it came out, but obviously still didn't do that hot. If it only made what I say like twenty five mil worldwide, right, right, right. But well, that worldwide, sure, but. I'm curious what the numbers are, like, you know, hometown hero. Yeah, it could have been, like, 3 million here and then, like, 21 there. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so, yeah, time to get to uh, Buy, Borrow, Burn, the hard part of the show, uh, or maybe easy. Before we get, just real quickly before we get to that, I wanted to ask you guys if you had any, like, weird or, like, funny British sayings or anything that you think was your favorite from the three movies? Because I had to write mine down because I've been laughing about it for days. (laughs) I wish you'd pose this question to me before so I had time to prepare. Um, Well, well, why don't you give us some of yours? I'll see if anything comes to mind. Well, I just have one. So um, I watched, like I said, I watched watched Snatch, Rock and Roll, and then Lockstock. And Megan was watching Snatch with me. I told you about 15 minutes in and she was struggling with the the vernacular. (laughs) But she she was still along for the ride. And I had never caught on to this line at all and I was just dying laughing from it when towards the end, Bullet Tooth Tony after the car crash they go into like a pub I think to like use the phone or just to get away from the car accident and that's when like Saul and uh, the other guy like follow him in there with the replica guns mm-hmm. it's just like such a quick throwaway line but it's so funny to me when he goes, he goes up to the bartender and he's like Pint of the black stuff, landlord. <laughs> I was like, that is so random. <laughs> I just been. I I can't necessarily say it's my favorite, but it's certainly like a standout one because there's so many favorite lines from that. But as far as like being like a new line to me, so now you know I've just been like random things throughout the last week. I've been just calling Megan landlord. <laughs> yeah, you know, she's been calling me like a filthy Cossack because that's how they refer to Russians or whatever. Yeah. Uh, like stand out, oh. like things that I quote all the time would be like, pull your socks up. Or, uh, I feel like many times I've recited the whole back and forth between, uh, Turkish and Tommy about, uh, it's not a gun, Tommy. Yeah. It's a cannon. <laughs> yeah. What's it yeah, for? Yeah. Protection. From what? Is he Z Germans? Germans. Uh-huh. <laughs> or things I know we've said to each other before is like, uh, if one of us is like, oh, I'll be there, I'll be there in a minute, and you'll, one of us will say like, it was two minutes, five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. I like when he about the Z Germans when he goes, uh, ask him, he's like, does the Rebbe get fucked or something? He's like, proper fucked. He's like, proper fucked. He's like, yes. Before Z Germans get there, 
know. Yeah, there is lines in terms of like actual like um, phrases from. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to. So remember, many but... phrases are just again. It always circles back to nicknames. Yeah. I don't know. Land, just see him calling the guy landlord. Yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> killed me. That's a very Daxberger line to pick out. I feel. Oh please, yeah. <laughs> Into the black stuff. It's just like, <laughs> so real. I love it. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, let's do it. Let's hit it. All right. Uh, do you want to make our guest go first, or are we gonna <laughs> let him go last? Ooh, let's uh, workshop this real quick. <laughs> You know what? I said at the beginning that I've been thinking about this like for days uh, Mm -hmm. because I knew uh, Rock and Roller was the last one I watched. I knew that was going to be last. It had to be. Um, Okay. So I'm going to throw this out there. Uh, I feel like this is not the way most people would go, but legitimately I feel like I would say burn Rock and Roller, borrow Snatch, buy Lockstock. Uh, I've always considered Snatch and Lockstock, like I said earlier, just like – just as good as one another. I've always loved them the same. Um, maybe it's because I'd been meaning to rewatch these for so long and I hadn't seen them in so long. Lockstock was the first one I watched, but I feel like I had a little more fun watching that one. And mm-hmm. while I still love Snatch, I will never have a bad thing to say about it. Mm-hmm. I, I did feel this time like that one might get a little too complicated. Okay. Whereas I think Lockstock is just, you know, it's rough around the edges, but like with the comedy and the characters being great in both of them, I think that that one is like a little bit of a, like a tighter package, maybe. Fair enough. Mm. Let's make Tony sweat it out a little more. <laughs> I'll go next. Millsy. Uh-huh. Someday. <laughs> someday we'll agree. You thought this would be the one? Uh, nope. Yeah, actually, yours went exactly how I, I had just had Same a feeling here. that's how you were gonna go. I am burning rock and roller, borrowing lock stock, buying snatch. That doesn't surprise me because I feel like snatch is like the one. It's like the go to for everybody, and I I don't you know discourage yeah, anybody feeling kinda, that way. Yeah. But. it's just what what you said all makes sense. But just a little, I have a little more fun with the snatch. Yeah. It's just some of the lines, and I don't. It's it's got the polish, which I wouldn't hold against it. Which isn't even really a factor for me. But I think I like the characters a little more. Some of the dialogue is my more like. There's more of my favorite dialogue is in snatch than in Lockstock. Some I like a lot of the nicknames better. I mean, that's a factor for me. I could just break it down <laughs> across the board, but it, overall, it is a fun factor. Tony, you're up. All right. Well, no surprise. I'm gonna burn the hell out of rock and roll. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, if you didn't, you'd never be coming back to this. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm going to buy snatch and borrow Lockstock. Mm. I thought I was going to be going the other way because uh, mm. I feel like I used to like Lockstock way more. Alright, so basically Lockstock, I think, has the better story through and through, like tightest story and best writing of all of his movies. Uh, but for the same reasons Dak said, Snatch has has the polish, has a little more American thrown in there and the dialogue is a little easy to 
digest as opposed to that real hard British dialogue and it does have a little more fun to it um, and I just love Brad Pitt as Mickey like that just throws it over even more mm-hmm. for me and the characters I think are a little more um, they're a little more cartoony and stuff but like they just I don't I like the characters so much more overall yeah, I think they just they sell it so yeah. good it, when you break it down like I like Jason Statham and yeah. Snatch more than Lockstock right. I like Bricktop more than Hatchet yeah, Harry. Yeah. Like I kind of when you A yeah. B the two things, mm-hmm. they just. But I'll always admit that Lockstock has the tighter story and more compelling story. It does. I, I have no yeah. problem. I mean, they're both five star movies. So, yeah, easily. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you want to come right down to it, the reason I prefer Lockstock to Snatch is because I fucking hate pikeys. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah. Couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> All right, so now comes the time when we pick what the next episode's theme is going to be. Mm. And this would have been the time we'd surprise Tony by telling him (laughs) that when we have a guest on, instead of using the random number generator, we're going to let the guest pick a random number. But he suggested that we do that a couple of days ago, (laughs) and we'd been planning to have him do it for weeks. Thought it was a good idea. (laughs) Well, it is a good idea. Yep. Show Tony is a fan of the show. He clearly is oh, yeah. plugged in. You know? All right. So, Tony, so. you're going to be our human random number generator. Right. We have 176 possible themes. What number are we going to go with for next episode? I'm just going to throw it there. Uh... <sighs> Closest without going over. <laughs> How about 104? Hmm. 104. Theme for next episode. (laughs) Uh, Second episode running. This could be one of the easiest titles we came up with. (laughs) The theme for next episode is Does Whatever a Spider Can. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So feel free to throw out your guesses as to what that means. Yes, please. Bring them on. And uh, yeah, so that's going to do it for uh, episode nine. Huge thanks to our first guest, Tony. That was great, man. Glad to have you on. And it was fun, you know, revisiting these movies. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. We're glad you enjoyed. So you'll be willing to come back someday? Absolutely. Perfect. You're uh, just about the only person who's agreed to do the show so far, so you may be our only recurring guest. But uh, (laughs) you know what? We're happy to have you. Well, then I want to renegotiate my contract. I want more money. (laughs) Damn, we're not supposed to show our hand, Milsey. <laughs> I'm not a card sharp. I don't know what I'm doing. <clears throat> oh, nice. But uh, yeah. All right. So perfect. Until next time, uh, I am Ryan Miller. I am Joe Daxberger. I'm Tony Sinani. <laughs> yes, you are. Question, question mark. <laughs> Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.